everybody, and welcome to another episode of Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and today is Marvel Unlimited Monday, the best day of the week besides Wednesday for uh, the new comics and also besides uh, Friday when movies come out. And I guess you could say Thursday, too, because uh, that's the when movies come out, the previews night. So really, uh, this whole week, it's a great day to be alive is what I'm trying to say. And uh, so, yeah, happy Monday to you all. Hope your weeks are going uh, starting off well. We've got some really good comics this week, and uh, it was a, it seemed like a lighter week, but I may I may revise that as I'm sharing uh, these different reviews with you. But it, it kind of felt like a lighter week, you know. There's some weeks where there's big bombshells that drop, um, those big issues like, uh, I, I, you know, whenever Immortal Hulk drops, that sort of stuff. And uh, there weren't as many this week, but there's still a lot of really good books. So let's jump right into it. I'm gonna start with the first one here on the list, which is Spider-Man: Far From Home Prelude. Guys, uh, look, in the past, I had said that these um, these tie-in series were garbage. I had said that they were just a flaming pile of uh, dungus, and it, I am proud to say that my opinion has not changed in the slightest. Uh, this book was terrible. I didn't even read it. I, uh, I, pull, cause I, I, I pulled it up on my computer. And I just started scrolling through the panels. I was like, "Is there any hope?" And nope, nope, there sure isn't. So this first, it's a one, it's a two-part series, and uh, it's just a retelling of Spider-Man: Homecoming. So if you've seen the movie, if you enjoyed the movie, I uh, and I'll give a shout out right here. So uh, it's funny enough that this came out today, but uh, Marvel Studios News podcast uh, just came out with their commentary track today for spider-man homecoming as well and it's a patreon exclusive so you have to subscribe on their patreon though i would highly recommend doing so because the content that they put out is second to none i mean they're they're guys they're miles ahead of me if you if you've been listening to me and going holy cow this guy is great first off thank you but second of all let me direct you to uh the gods uh, of the podcasting about marvel stuff they're actually the ones who inspired me to start podcasting so uh, like I said, they and there's this, there's this two hour. I mean, it's a whole commentary of Spider-Man: Homecoming. So uh, you're gonna get a much better deal out of that than you will from reading this Far From Home prelude. So skip it, honestly. <clears throat> Do yourself a favor. Next up, um, and here's where uh, things start getting a little interesting. So issue two of Extremists, the uh, Age of X-Men series. This is written by Leah Williams with pencils by. Uh, Jorge's Ginti and inks by Roberto Poggi and color art by Jim Charlampidus with uh, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And you know, that's that must be what it was because I didn't see that Clayton was doing the letters on this one. But do you guys remember how I said that the only series of this Age of X-Men that I wasn't enjoying was Extremists? Well, that is correct because the last issue was kind of weird. Things didn't really make sense. And by the end of it, it was like, oh, they're capturing a pregnant woman. Well... I am also proud to say that my opinion has completely changed, a complete 180. Guys, I really recommend this series now. I think if you power through the first issue, you're going to really enjoy this second issue because it really dives into the psychotic situation that's going on in Age of X-Men right now. So it follows the extremists who are Psylocke, uh, and it's weird It's because it's, it's almost hard to tell because they, they say their names every once in a while, but they are wearing completely different costumes. And uh, so you can't tell. So it's Psylocke, Iceman, 
um, Jubilee, North Star, Mineta, and uh, Blob. And so this one details, first off, that now confirmed the extremists are starting those fires. So th this first shows them, um, and, and by the way, and I apologize in advance, guys, I'm going to be going into spoilers on all of these issues. So if this is something that you really want to read, I would recommend buying it from the local comic shop. Uh, by the time it comes out on Marvel Unlimited, it is six months old. So these comics have been on the shelves for a while. But uh, if not, if you regardless, pause this, come back and listen to my thoughts on it and see if you agree with me or just enjoy the story as I tell it. But uh, yeah, so they 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 um, they want to get the X-Men to because uh, the X-Men, quote unquote, make people feel safe. So they go and they go and like pull all the animals out of this section of the forest. And then Iceman puts up a giant ice wall around it. And then Jubilee lights the place on fire with her fireworks. And then the X-Men show up and put out the fire and that's probably why you're seeing on the news every day that the x-men put out another fire and it's interesting because like i said in every single issue that i've talked about prior the most interesting thing about this whole series is it's got this dystopian feel to it of you know there's something not quite right it's a perfect society where there's a lot of cracks and things are starting to fall through the cracks and this issue more than any so far has really given a sort of idea as to what that is. And I'm wondering, sort of like a Fahrenheit 451 vibe. And so I'm really, I'd be curious to see if Leah had that idea in her head when she was writing this, because the whole, the whole thing in Fahrenheit 451 was the firemen who were supposed to put out fires, they actually started the fires by burning books because people weren't allowed to read. And that's the same sort of society that these people live in, where the, the government or the, you know, the mutant parliament, whatever you want to call them, has kind of dictated that you can't be with other people you can't have feelings for other people you're supposed to just do this 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 and this and so it's interesting to see that the extremists or in this case the firemen are starting the fires so that was really cool to see but then even crazier than that and that's where i was like when that happened i said wow okay i'm interested in this book now and they and they sort of hint at uh the pregnant chick who is just, at this point, she's just a sort of a side character. She's more of a MacGuffin. She's moving the story forward because I don't think she's really anybody. Uh, and I may be wrong. I, I just haven't seen that yet. But so apparently at this point, all we know is that she's downstairs. And we're like, okay, okay, cool. So they're keeping her downstairs. That doesn't seem right, but whatever. So <clears throat> they finish doing this fire. And it's it says later that night and there's only two people left in the office it's betty or betsy and uh, blob and betsy goes up to blob and says um she says hey i wanted to talk to you alone she says um i want to talk to you about uh she says oh i'm certain it will be it's just earlier today during the controlled purge so that's what they're calling the burning a controlled purge I caught something coming from your thoughts that we need to discuss, specifically your attraction to me. And he says, er, uh, and he, she says, you don't have to explain. I could also pick up on how hard you were working to hide it from me, so I know that it's not something you would ever act on. And as a professional courtesy, I'd be more than happy to take care of that for you. He says, take care? She says, take care of erasing all traces of your romantic feelings. You wouldn't even remember having them at all. I could even implant a mild feeling of disgust towards me that ensures your physical attraction doesn't happen again. And he just bolts out of there. <clears throat> Blob's like, I gotta get out of here. 
and she's like, wait, 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 well, like, what's what's wrong? And it's like, oh, I don't know. What do you think is wrong? Maybe the fact that this guy's got a crush on you and you're saying, what if I just wiped your memory so that you never had a crush on me to begin with? That is insane. And so then Blog calls in sick multiple days, and there's a really cool thing about that. But then we find out what's going on. And so so Blob actually sends Betsy a little a little note that says, I don't want to forget. Forgive me. But then um, she the one girl, Minetta, who is like, I guess she's a newbie in the extremists. And she is by far the most extreme. She goes, I'm going to go interrogate our prisoner. And he, the other guys, uh, North Star is like, it's Gast. Or no, that's not North Star. There's a, that's right. It's, it's an Asian character. I don't know who it is, but they call it out later. But this girl is going down there and we find out this pregnant lady is tied up. She's chained by the neck and tied to a sink in like a dimly lit, essentially like records closet and the so she comes down and she's like you have got to be kidding me and Manetta's like she's like you said she was comfortable down here and she's like because she's fine essentially like she's just crazy and this this lady really reams into her she says uh She's like, oh, and, and the the other girl, the Asian girl, is like, okay, no, we're going upstairs. We got to tell the other people what's going on. And she's like, no, she's like, I hope, like, you're ruining everything. You, your people, like the people who are having relationships and living their life, like, you're what's wrong with this, uh, this country. Lot of very interesting political tie-ins, not just with this issue, but with all of them. And what's great about it as well is the the. the the political stuff is you can you know pick your poison with it. It's it's dealing with political stuff from the '60s all the way up until today. Like they're they're managing to tie in all the horrible things that America has done over the years and and put them in this mutant frame. But so then she goes, I'm so sorry about Minetta. She's new and way overzealous. But I had no idea what's been going on the way she's been treating you. And she goes, You're worse. And she's like, excuse me? She goes, you're far worse. I'll take the monster that I can see coming over the one who pretends they're anything but any day. And she goes, I haven't done anything to you. He says, how do you not understand what it means to be complicit? You haven't done anything to me, but definitely not for me either. And then she says, "Uh, but after a few days down here, I realized you're just perfectly content seeing another Asian woman chained up in the basement and a freaking pregnant one and like comes a little closer and the the chain like clinks against the sink because it's around her neck. And she's like, you definitely aren't being tortured. And she's like, you think this isn't torture? And she's like, no. But and so it's like, oh, my God, this is so messed up. And then we get uh, a, a quick bit back with Betsy and Blob. And just this really cool metaphor about moths and Blob is is like I like Blob in the series now. Like I've I've never been a Blob fan just because it to me he was just off putting because he was just the the huge dumb guy. Like okay we get it you know he's giant he's a he's like a giant guy but he's also dumb. This makes him out to be a lot more intelligent and I really appreciated that they gave him that depth. And so by the end of this, though, uh, we are left in a very interesting position because Blob uh, shares his feelings with her, and it is done so perfectly. I was shocked at how uh, how much information was given in this issue to the point where, and I've said it before, uh, I thought it was a, a, you know like a bonus issue, but I was like, nope, nope, it's not. But like I said, by the end of this, it's like, oh boy, I am really interested to see where this next issue takes us because 
I could see this going either way of them getting together or her wiping his mind uh, without his permission. And the way that the issue looks it, when you scroll past it to then it says next, Age of X-Men Extremists number three. The cover for that looks really, really sweet and really precious. And I honestly, I, if if they're together, I will really enjoy that. But if she wipes his mind as well, I think the sadness of that will really make for a great story too. So either way, I'm down with it. And guys, like I said, this one's now towards the top of my list in terms of the ones I like the most. Uh, next up is Dar- Star Wars Vader Dark Visions, issue number two. If you guys remember, I raved about this issue or issue number one uh, when it came out. Issue number two is not as good as issue number one, but it's still managing to capture how much of a presence Darth Vader is and specifically how much of a presence he is when he's not around. And so this was written of the stories by Dennis Hopeless Hallam. And and guys, I don't know if any of you are out there. I, obviously, you know what? This, this question is directed right to Dennis because uh, I know he's listening. And Dennis... You're the hopeless in between your name. It's in quotation marks. Why are you feeling hopeless? Are you hopeless or are you secretly Dennis Hopless, the writer of Avengers Academy and um, Avengers Undercover, Avengers Arena? Because if so, I, I like I don't know what it is that you're trying to do. Are you trying to do like a CB Sobolski, like where you're two different people at the same time? Hey, you know, regardless. I don't know. I maybe wouldn't put the name in quotes. You could just call yourself Hopeless Hallam. That's a pretty cool name, to be honest. Art by Brian Level. Colors by Jordan Boyd. And lettered by VC's Joe Caramagna. So this, and and I'm not going to go too much into detail because the story is incredibly straightforward. The art is really interesting. There's some really great splash pages in here. And the design of the pages is cool too. They're, they're, They're flying Star Destroyers. And there's one panel that's just the panels are in the shape of a Star Destroyer, which is really cool. But the story, again, these are one-and-done stories. It's about a commander on a uh, Star Destroyer that they, I guess they thwarted some rebel uh, incursion sort of thing and got rid of all the rebels and they fled. And they're like, crap, we this is failure. And one of them's like, it's not really failure. Like we did what we did, right? We stopped them. We did all this stuff. And the guy, the commander's like, yeah, you're right. That's, that's right. And, and he's like, I'm going to go report. He goes, I'm going to go report this to the higher ups. And they're like, that's great. Let them know how we did. And so they, uh, they do it. And he, he says, uh, good evening, commander. We've received an encrypted message from high, high command. And he says, go ahead. The emperor is delighted to hear of your success. Lord Vader is en route to personally retrieve the captured rebel spy. Please prepare the ship to receive him. And as he's doing this, the guy is literally losing his mind because he was in the room way back when, and they do a flashback, he was in the room way back when, when Darth Vader uh, force choked everybody, like killed them and was like, you're in charge now. And uh, so now he's like, oh, crap, we need that guy. So they go chasing after the rebel ship, and he just continuously gets himself and the entire ship into increasingly more danger. And to the point where his like underlings are like, sir, this is getting a little crazy. And we get a great callback to when uh, the rebels were hiding in that giant worm in space. That happens in this, except to insane effect. But by the end of this, it uh, 
it's just crazy because the what is it and uh, honestly nah it's it's not that much of a spoiler but basically vader's not even in this issue and i you don't even know if he actually shows up because the final panel it says later and like at this point the star destroyer is on fire because he basically went into a meteor shower and went inside of that giant worm and got all of the uh what are they called the minox those little little bat creatures are like destroying the hull shields are down the um the tractor beam is down and the guy they're like what do we do and he's like abandon ship and so everybody's leaving and in this last panel he's just breathing through an oxygen mask sitting there with the you know everything is burning and fire and darth vader walks out and just says failure is unacceptable and lights his lightsaber but i don't you don't know or at least i don't know they're not making it very clear if vader actually went on this ship and killed him or if this guy is literally having dark visions of vader and i i'm leaning more towards that because again that's the whole point of this series i think and just according to these first two issues is vader just has this presence that he is almost more he's absolutely terrifying in person and you certainly don't even want to be around him but to the point that even if he is not around, his presence is just absolutely horrifying to people. And it it's it's funny that you could ma- write a story like this where the bad guys, you feel incredibly sympathetic for them because you're like, oh man, yeah, you should have... Uh you shouldn't have let those rebels get away. You should have just gotten them when you had the chance because Vader is going to kill you. And so again, we don't know whether he did it or not, but I'm really enjoying that series. I'm always a fan of one and done issues because... Um, because it's easier you don't have to you know follow 80 years of storytelling or or be in issue 45 of a series you just enjoy it and so that that series i would recommend next up is daredevil issue number three this is by chip zadarsky and marco chiquetto with uh what do we got art by uh colors by sunny go and then lettered by vc's clayton cowles so you already know you already know what's going on there but this picks up right after the end of the last issue. And if you guys remember, the last issue with this was the police officer shot Daredevil. So Daredevil's on the ground about to get cuffed. And obviously he gets out of it because he's got his radar sense. And he kind of goes into that where it's like, he says, I don't need to see you. Like, I don't, my radar sense is not just in front of me. It's like a 360 degree view. So I can see when people are coming. And the art guys, I, I've said this before, Marco Cicchetto, one of the young guns, the art on here is just insane. He just has such a way of making the characters, it's like a Steve McNiven vibe, but it's a lot grittier and in a better way because to be honest, I feel like Steve McNiven has declined in quality over the years. And I only say that specifically because I just saw a a cover and like an incentive, a variant cover for, and I don't even remember what issue it was for, but it's for, it's for a future comic and it just even that cover i was like for example if you look at the the art for the most part the art in return of wolverine and that's where i think in my eyes and we're getting on a tangent here but in my eyes that's kind of where steve mcniven's um, quality dipped i think because here's my theory uh, Charles Sewell and Steve McNiven were supposed were doing the Return of Wolverine series because they had done the Death of Wolverine series, and it's just a it's a five issue series, five issue mini series. And as you guys know, these series are they're planned out years in advance, 
and especially those ones because I know Charles Sewell's been working on that one for a while and I really enjoyed it. It it wasn't as good as it could be and honestly it wasn't as good as the hunt for Wolverine. But what what really intrigued me was they really pushed this, oh, Steve McNiven's doing the art. Well, then it turns out Steve McNiven only ended up doing the art for I think I think he only ended up doing the art for the first and the last issue and then Declan Shalvey did the art for the the middle 3 issues. And I just thought that it was the weirdest thing in the world because all of the covers were Steve McNiven. And and he, again, he, he was, he was the, honestly, he was the first actual comic book artist that I had ever seen in terms of collecting comics. Because I had read a lot of old comics, but I read them in collected editions. And the first time that I ever went to a comic book store was when I picked up Civil War, issue number one. Um, back in, what was that, 2005, 2006? And Steve McNiven was doing the art on that, and I just remember reading that book I, vividly to this day going, if all comic book art is as good as this art, sign me up, because it was amazing. And it was. It really was. It was so crisp, so smooth, so it was just, per- you know, it, it's, it felt like I was watching a movie. It was that good of drawing. And now the the art that was in those two issues of Wolverine just seemed like it just seemed like a huge dip in quality. And then when I saw this variant cover, I was like, oh, so he's is is it the person who's doing his colors, maybe? I have no idea. But Marco Cicchetto has taken the place of Steve McNiven in my eyes. Preview this as well. There are some other shocking young guns that I'm gonna be talking about in this on this uh, podcast that uh, pleasantly surprised me today. Actually, this week was a great week. It was a, it was a week of 180s of me turning around my opinions on a lot of things in, in regards to comics. So, back to Daredevil. He's on the run. He has taken his costume off and is high, kind of wearing clothes, but then the cop spots him, so he puts his mask back on, and at this point, Kingpin's on the hunt too because he's been he's now been notified that uh, Daredevil is is cornered at this point, and he's like, I gotta go see this for myself. And so they they literally have him cornered, and he he's like, I'm going to take you in, that cop. And Dare, he's like, but where's my gun? And Daredevil has his gun. Daredevil throws his gun to the floor, and they get into a fist fight. And it is a brutal, brutal fist fight. And they arrest him. They get him. And Kingpin's watching. Everyone's live streaming it, and they arrest Daredevil. And it's like, holy crap. And they're about to unmask Daredevil. And this is where... Um, this is where Zdarsky, I think, really shines in his storytelling. He does a really good job of creating um, just, I guess, new twists and and more layers, and I, I really appreciate that. But they're about to unmask him, and a cop says, hey. And he's like, are you kidding? He says, I don't know. I'm sure it's a New York cop. I don't know who the hell you are, but you de- – that's not a New York accent. I don't know who you who the hell you are, but you're definitely not New York. This man has done good for the city, for other cops. He may not be official police, but he's police as far as I'm concerned, and we look out for our own. I know you've got to take him in. I get that. He broke the law, but we don't. Perp walk cops. He says, let him keep the mask on until we get to the station. And the guy, the cop guy in classic, I've been defeated fashion says, fine, I don't even care. <laughs> you New York boys need to get your heads checked. And it's like, okay, dude, well, at least, at least we don't get to see, because that would have sucked if, if he'd have gotten his, um, been revealed. And then all of a sudden, they're about to take him away. And just there's just bullets flying everywhere, and they're like, "What's going on?" All of a sudden, smoke bombs and smoke gas. It's like, "Holy crap! What is happening?" And then all of a sudden, the cop guy 
someone grabs it around his neck, knocks him out. Daredevil's like, what's going on? What's happening? He says, all I know is this is bad. Blacks out. And then all of a sudden, he's slowly starting to come back. And again, to, to Marco Cicchetto and Sonny Go, Sonny Go, congrats. Because this panel on page 22 of 24 is incredible it goes from seeing the radar vision of a person slowly fading away because you're getting knocked out to slowly being gone to blackness and then from there little bits of red coming back as he comes back congrats you'll live he says where he goes but even better than that you've seen the light and it's freaking punisher so when i when i read this i I don't know about you guys, and I love Punisher. I haven't been reading his... I don't really read Punisher comics, but I love the character Punisher, and I especially love when he cameos and stuff. But the reason I love him is because literally nothing good ever comes from the Punisher getting involved in something. You see that in Daredevil, the show. You see that in like in Civil War. You saw that in Secret Empire. Anytime Frank Castle gets involved, people are going to die. It's going to be a bloodbath. And yeah, he's going to get the job done. And I love that about him. But I, when I saw this panel, the first thing I said was, oh my God, Daredevil is done. Like, why? That's like, that would be like, if you got saved, like, how do you come back from that? Okay. Daredevil escaped. And and the cop is literally telling him as he gets hit, he's like, uh, it's a breakout. It's a breakout. Like they're going to, he says, you set this up. Who's attacking us? And he's like, I don't, I don't. And then the guy gets knocked out. So it's like, what do you, of course, the next issue, and it says next, crime and punishment. Like, why did Frank have to get involved? I'm grateful that Daredevil got away, but now Daredevil is quote unquote in cahoots with the Punisher. That's not good PR. And that is the exact opposite of what Matt Murdock needs right now. And honestly, guys, you you saw how passionate I am about this. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm really enjoying this series. So check it out. The next cover looks amazing. Guys, covers by Julian Tedesco. Um, Totino Tedesco? But it's definitely Julian Tedesco. Black Widow, issue number three of five. This is the No Restraints play uh, storyline by the Soska sisters, Jen and Sylvia Soska, with art by Flaviano, color art by Veronica Gandini, and lettered by VC's Joe Caramagna. So we're getting a little... If you guys remember... Last issue ended with Madam Mask uh, shooting Black Widow. It was like, oh, where are we? Go? What's going to happen next? And so now we find out that, and and I I love this character, and I honestly wish I get we'll get to see her more in the future. Tiger Tiger, she was she's in this, and she was also in uh, the Hunt for Wolverine. I think Mystery and Madripoor. She's got the coolest name because it's like T T I G E R T Y G E R. And I know, I know she's got some powers. I don't know what they are at the moment, but she's just the dress that she's wearing in here, the the costume she's wearing as well. It's almost like a costume. She's going to a fancy party, and uh, it just it looks great. And I I just I want to see more of this character. And uh, honestly, all the female characters in this series have done really well. Jen and Sylvia really know how to to write um, some really good assassin type characters. But so what ends up actually happening, which we all knew anyway, was that Black Widow doesn't get shot. She uses one of her gauntlet wrist things to, uh, block the bullet. And she's like, Oh, you know, I've tried that before. And then she, she ends up defeating mask with very, uh, with the greatest of ease and then, uh, takes her costume. So essentially what's happening now is they're trying to infiltrate this party where the next no restraints play, 
video session, whatever it is, is going to start. And Black Widow is trying to get in there to stop it before it starts. And apparently the security is insane. So they actually have Taskmaster in it. who And she's she goes through it in here like, I, I have to mimic Madame Mask to the letter. Otherwise, Taskmaster is going to figure me out because he has memorized the moves and methods of all of these people. So she ends up getting saved by Tiger Tiger. And then at that point, they run into Sabretooth is there, and she's like, I can't let Sabretooth see me either because he's going to smell me, and he'll know. And so then this guy, so this guy is like, he calls himself the prince, and he's literally giving money away to all these villains in Madripoor saying, like, we don't need to fight. Like, here's your money sort of thing. And so they're trying, oh, and there's a really good bit here with Baron Zemo too who's, like, trying to hit on Madame Mask because apparently they used to date, and she is not having it. And so Sabretooth saves her, essentially. It's like, whoa, buddy, like if she's not into you, you need to leave. And he says, hope you don't mind me stepping in, but us good guys need to stay together, right, Red? And says, well, and it's all blurbed out. But she's like, well, shit. And she goes, hold on. And he says, relax, I made you when I walked in. You smelled like blood, but you're not the only one. And uh, so then they kind of go to try and get more information. And that's what I love, too. I, I, I get that Sabretooth's a villain, but I really like when he's playing the good guy because... I always love having the big gruff meat. He's like another. He's like a gruffier Wolverine, and I'm I'm totally down for that. I'm here for it. And so then she ends up getting sort of kicked out because she asks too many questions of this prince guy. And as she's being escorted out, she's like, "Ooh, if I kiss the escort guy, like maybe I can get a, a way around." And so, but she kisses him, and she's like, "Wait a minute, that didn't taste right." She's like, "Oh no, they planned for this." And so the guy had like poison on his lips. And so she's knocked out, woken up, or not woken up, but now she's all tied up. And this issue leaves us with she is going to be, I guess, the next person in this no restraints play who I guess gets tortured. And that's an interesting thing. Obviously, we know she's going to get out of it, but how she gets out of it, that's going to be interesting. And then the cover of this next issue, which I believe covers are by Clayton Crane. Clayton has always been great. I really enjoyed him on Ghost Rider Trail of Tears, and I've kind of liked him ever since. Um, next up, and this is a very brief one, and I told you guys this last week, I'm trying to get to the meat and bones of this series, the Invaders series, and the only reason I'm, I'm trying my best on this is because it's Chip Zdarsky, and I love Chip, I love Chip, and today you're getting, you're getting a Chip double dip, and, uh, but I just, I'm not a fan of the Invaders, and I never have been, because they're just, it's too, a little too old school for me, and again, we've gone over this in prior podcasts. There's certain old school stuff I love, like Ed Brubaker's um, Marvel Project, that sort of stuff. But I don't know. And it's been very hit or miss just because I'm not a huge fan of the art either. So Chip Zdarsky wrote it. Art is by Carlos Magno. Is it Magno? Yeah, Magno. Is that is that uh, Mag- What's his name? Magna? Uh, Care Magna. Okay, no, different people. But uh, Color Art by Alex Gumares, and then Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. And so all I'm going to say on this, because like I said, I scrolled through this one, and it's just, it's more of the same. Namor is being a prima donna and a very angry one at that. Captain America is trying to figure something out, and we're getting to the point, though, where there's a big battle between Captain America, Namor, and Torch, or Human Torch, the original Human Torch. And then there's this old man that I guess was friends with Namor that Namor accidentally kills. But there's this bit, and I, I saw a article about this in uh, previews saying, like, this is what's coming up about Charles Xavier apparently has a big role to play in this future issue. And it's, it's hinted at here. 
He says, uh, and so Namor's like confronted this old man. He says, you told me you destroyed the evidence like I asked. And they said, they're my memories, Namor, of the real you. And Namor says, I'm still the same man. And the guy says, I told Steve, you were still that man. I'm hoping you don't prove me wrong. I can't imagine that you'd come here to destroy the only evidence left. My daughter? Me? And he says, if they pull the Xavier thread all maybe and the guy goes maybe lost i don't know what you're doing uh i don't know what you're doing nay keeps it all from me i've tried to protect you for so long i just uh, uh and then he dies he says who's gonna oh namor who's gonna save you and it's like uh-oh and so then the other the other people come back and namor flies away crying so clearly this old man meant something to him and i, I know he went into detail in the prior issues but like i said i've just i've had a hard time following this one and so the girl the, the daughter's crying to Captain America. She says, I'll tell you what you need to know. I'll tell you who Namor really is. And then it says, next, the secret history of Namor. And the cover of that issue, because you scroll next, and the cover of the issue is him and Charles Xavier with a bunch of iterations of Namor flying out behind him. So I, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of this, but I will actually be reading this issue next month because I am always down for a little retconning secret history whatever you want to call it when it especially when it comes to xavier because you know that's like the whole thing right where like oh why have the mutants not been in the mcu well maybe they have been and xavier just wiped everybody's minds like what if there's something about namor that we don't know and he just wiped you know either everybody's minds or whatever the case may be i'm not sure but yeah, so that that yeah, read read that series at your own risk. Next up, Marvel Comics presents, and this is issue number three. And uh, shout out, I actually never mind. I was gonna say Marvel Comics presents. I think they did a full twelve issues for Marvel's 80th anniversary, but I'm pretty sure they're ending Marvel Comics presents on issue nine. But this is written by Charles Sewell, and actually this is three stories, each are written and, and drawn by other people. So we'll start with the first one, which is the Wolverine one. We're in the Vigil Part Three, written by Charles Sewell. Penciled by Paolo Securia. Inks by Oren Jr. And color art by Frank D'Armato with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And uh, this, it just details the third time that they're fighting the truth. And they fight, it, it kind of, it, it does a lot more explaining. And I, I like this because I was wondering, like, the whole point of this vigil is that every 10 years, Wolverine and this sorceress chick has to uh they have to fight the quote-unquote truth who's usually like a demon and each time the the truth grows and and that sort of stuff but it's every 10 years so that's why it's like a kind of going through marvel's history sort of thing and so i was thinking well great so is each issue just going to be them talking about oh you know we got to meet up again now we got to fight well no so this one they the fight is brought right to wolverine brings them right in they fight and the girl has, um, she's now a woman now because she's grown, it's been 10 years, and she's like a pro at magic now. She's really good with magic. And so her and Wolverine, after they defeat the truth, they go to Paris and kind of walk around. She's like, I want to get to know you. And so she kind of get a little bit of a backstory. We get a very sour Wolverine face on ish, uh, page seven, if you're interested, a very, hmm, Wolverine face. And then, you know, they have some drinks, a little bit of chit-chatting, and then boom, we find out they slept together. And she writes him a little French thank you note, disappears and shows back up at her, not coven, but it's like a gypsy family, her family's place. It looks like, looks a little bit like the Sanctum Sanctorum, but uh, it's a bunch of gypsies and, and sorcerers or whatever. And, and she, the, the old lady says, so, and she says, yes, Aunt Agatha, or yeah, Agatha. 
it's done. And it says, she was sent to do a, do a job and she did it. She did it to save her family. <gasps> what did she do? Well, again, these comics are coming out six months and uh, six months old, and we already know what she did. And at least I'm assuming because maybe it's I'm wrong, but Wolverine and her have a kid, and that's like in issue six, I think. It's like a first appearance sort of thing. So I'm really interested to see where that goes, and especially because to to find out that. To find out that she didn't want to sleep with Wolverine, like who? I mean, I, I get it. He's a he's a gruff dude, but like, he's like so he, all the ladies love him. Like, come on. But oh well. So she's she's just doing it because she has to. But we'll we'll find out a little bit more about that because I've I from what I saw, she this this new the daughter of these two is is like incredibly powerful or something. So I, I'm really looking forward to that one. Okay, the next story is Captain America, and it is called Home of the Brave, written by Andrew Iden, with art by Daniel Acuna, with letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And this is about uh, the civil, it says about the civil rights movement, it's in, it says Mississippi, 1964. And for some reason, Captain America crash lands at this, like a farm. Think of it as a, it, it felt like this was, and what was that movie? Mudbound on Netflix, the, the movie about that, uh, uh, the African-American family that it, it's like, it's, it's juxtaposed against a white family and the, the, the white and black guy end up becoming like really good friends it's actually a really, really, really sad movie, and especially the ending. It almost was it was almost impossible for me to watch just because I can't stand that sort of torture and I certainly can't stand seeing even if it's in a movie, it just really, really hurts me to see when, you know, that that sort of racist like the KKK sort of stuff. Like I get it. It it happened and it's still alive and well, unfortunately, but it just it whenever i see it it just makes me really really sad that there's people in this world that can do that sort of thing and so this story is essentially that they they kind of resuscitate captain america and help him out and then he in, in turn protects them from some white people that were coming over they're not clansmen but they're coming over to to i guess rough them up and he like beats the crap out of them and they're like same thing like oh why'd you do that they're just going to come back and be more angry like we get it that's the that's the story they always tell but he's trying to say that uh um he's like oh like please let me help you and he says if you want to help you'll listen to me stay here in this house he was like i'm he goes i'm going into town and he's like do you know who i am he says i know exactly who you are captain the problem is that you don't know me i'm a damn black man trying to keep my family alive now please listen to me and then the next scene is both of them in, a, in the truck together and he says thanks for the clothes but then he, he stops the truck says get out and he says the town's not for another mile but uh, if the white folks see me driving you there's going to be more trouble so get out and he explains to him that he, I guess he's going to find his, his wife had ran off. And so, it, and even this part is just so depressing because he, he says, uh, May went to the courthouse. Someone from Cor or Kofo or Sink gave her a ride. It's the third Tuesday of the month. Only day you can register to vote in the county. And that is crazy to me. Like that just, the, the things that they had to go through just blows my mind. I just, like... And I'm, I'm, I, this is not, I'm not going to get onto a soapbox about this. It just common sense wise, how could you treat somebody else? How could you treat another human any differently? That's like one of the few things, tenants that even I would say in the Bible that I agree with is, uh, love your neighbor as you would love yourself or treat somebody the way that you would want to be treated. 
I don't get how people can't can't grasp that concept. I don't know how you can be mean to somebody else just because they look different than you. Like, different is so interesting. Being the same is so boring. I don't know why you would want that. So, like I said, not going to be a soapbox, but he kind of goes into this whole thing that she, you know, he has to take, she has to take like all these tests and stuff. So he's like, she'll get out. And then it shows her in the courthouse. She, this guy hands her a form, says you have 10 minutes to fill out this form, both pages. And then she comes out kind of crying. And so you kind of think that she didn't finish. They drive home and what do we find? But her house is on fire and burning. And he's, he's like, it's your fault, Captain America. And he's like, I'm so sorry. He's like, leave before anyone else gets hurt. And so then he, he's, he calls Tony Stark from a payphone and gets on a bus. But the last little bit is him helping a little black boy onto the bus. He says, let me help you. And it says, he says, I fight. He says, I am the greatest soldier who ever existed. I fight America's enemies. How can I fight America? And it's like, okay, it didn't, it was a weird story. Like it didn't hit the way that I think they thought it would. But it was still good. It was still enjoyable. And then this last one was probably the weakest of the three. And this is called The Heart of a Spider, uh, written by James Monroe Eagleheart, and then art by Ray Anthony Height, with inks by Ray Anthony Height and Nate Lovett, color art by J. David Ramos, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. So, um, and I always, honestly, and it's, I, there's nothing to say it in this, but I just, I always get leery when there's multiple people on here. Like you got an artist, two inkers, and then a color artist. Whereas sometimes all of that is wrapped into one. Like you saw with Daniel Acuna in the last one. He's just the artist. And so uh, this is a weird one. It's just there is Spider-Man and who is it? Crusher, Creel, Crusher, not Crusher. The uh, the first guy that he fights in, uh, yeah, Crusher Hogan. The first guy he fights when he becomes Spider-Man. Somehow he's in the ring with him and Crusher has powers now. So they're fighting, getting the crap beat out of him, and all of a sudden, Brother Voodoo shows up and says, hey, you're in a dream. I'm, I'm doing my best to to get you out of it, essentially, but I need you to keep fighting. And so they keep fighting, and he finds out that it was uh, Dr. Druid that, or yeah, Dr. Druid that set it up, and, and that's basically it. It, it. To me, it was super weak, and I... I didn't really enjoy it. I kind of skipped, skimmed through it because I was like, okay, this is kind of boring. But the overall, I'd say this was a, a, a miss in my eyes. I mean, the, I'm really enjoying the Vigil story just because I kind of know where it's headed. But overall, it's just not, I don't know. It, I like anthology series, like I said, short stories like that. But when you do them, you got to make them interesting. So next up is actually a really great comic, The Superior Spider-Man, issue number four, written by Christos Gage, pencils by Mike Hawthorne, Inks by Wade Von Grawbadger and colors by Jordi Belair with letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And this takes place right after um, superior, the superior Spider-Man, he'll point out, is uh, uh, beats Terex, the, the destroyer. And so this essentially is a phenomenal issue. It's those issues you always ask for. I said it last, last week about Miles Morales. It's the issue where they're not fighting somebody, where they're doing something else. And this issue is just 100% character growth. He, um, it says, uh, he's basically helping clean things up. And so, so the firefighter says, great work, Spider-Man, superior Spider-Man. And then, uh, at, at this other spot, he says, uh, he says here on this tablet, you'll find a schematic showing the locations, showing the locations most likely to bear fruit based on the blueprints of the population for finding people. He says, deploy all your forces there. The firefighter says, but what if there are people trapped in other places? And Spider-Man says, you can't save everyone. It's a waste of resources to try. And then he says, and uh, of course, I will be blanketing the underserved areas with my spider bots. Should they detect any survivors, they will alert me or the proper authorities. And he says, 
And when he said that initial thing, the, the firefighter face is like, what? And then the firefighter says, right, sorry, for a minute there, I thought you meant, never mind. And then Spider-Man says, good heavens, woman, I said what you wanted me to. Will you please stop screaming profanities in, in my ear? And so we find out that Anna Maria is... Uh, Anna Maria Marconi is in his ear. She's the she's the, the gal in the chair. And she's basically, like, trying to turn him into a good person. And it's so funny. She says, uh, he said, she says, you just advocated letting people die. He says, I advocated marshalling resources where they can save the most lives. It's called triage. Hospitals do it every day. He says, she says, you're going to give me an aneurysm. He says, one cannot give an aneurysm. It's medically impossible. She says, you might be the first. And then someone else, an old woman says, Spider-Man. And he goes, that's superior Spider-Man. May I help you, madam? She says, you saved my life when you're done. Come back. I'll make you kielbasa. He says, I have no time for such trivialities. And then he says, what I mean to say is, thank you. I'd be delighted. And she sa- he says, why did you tell me to say that I abhor kielbasa? And she says, you'll eat kielbasa and you'll like it. And so, uh, and then we kind of get in, there's a, who is it? She's the detective, Miss um, Hernandez. Yeah, I think she's a detective. And she brings him a bottle of wine in the hospital and things look like they're starting to get interesting. Um, maybe something was going to be there between them, a little little romantic involvement. And thankfully, it doesn't look like Anna is jealous at all. And, and I, you know, why blame her? It, it would have been a very easy trope to make her jealous. But she is absolutely pissed at him for all that he did to her in the past. So I'm glad that she's moved on. But... Uh, She's like, okay, it's time for your, she busts in, Anna busts in. She's like, all right, you need to leave, ma'am. Like, uh, she goes, you need to be helping people. He's like, I did. I stopped Tarek's from killing them all. And he's like, no, no, no. You need to like, you need to go out there and be a hero basically. And he says, she's like, because you're an arrogant jerk. Like you need to learn. And so he says, uh, she says, you claim to be a hero to help people, but you have contempt for the people you're supposedly trying to help. You think you're better than them. He says, because I am. Let's not mince words, Anna. I am far more intelligent. She says, you're better at nuclear physics, cloning, robotics, but do you know what it, it you, do you know what to say to someone who has just lost their child? He says, I don't see how that's relevant. She says, that's exactly why you're going out there. And she says, you better go out there or I'm going to kick your ass. And so he goes out there. And one thing leads to another. He saves this little kid whose mom actually died. And so he he stops and talks with the kid. And it's actually a really sweet thing. He says, you know, in regard to your mother, there's something that I have to tell you. And then it's just silent. And it's a, a five pa- like five panel, complete silent of him. Like it looks like telling him. And then he starts crying. And then he cries on Spider-Man's shoulder. And then he gets up and goes with the paramedics. And Spider-Man waves goodbye. And you don't see what he says. But then Anna says, okay, that was impressive. What you said to that kid, it was what he really needed to hear. And I really believed you know how he feels. And he and Superior Spider-Man or Otto says, I lost both my parents. They were damaged people, but the loss is felt nonetheless. And she's like, you did good back there. Uh, you can take a break if you want. And he says, no, you were right. These people need my aid more and they deserve it. And for as long as I'm able to give it, I'm gonna. And so it does this stuff where he just starts helping all these people. And I, I've got chills now talking about it. I had I had chills, the comic chills. I had them when I read them prior. I just, this is a great issue. I love these touching character issues, especially for someone like Otto, a great villain who uh, is now trying to be a hero. 
And so then the uh, we get some more touching, touching, so much touching in terms of it all being great. And then uh, old lady walks out of a, a the like a homeless shelter or whatever. They're at the police station. She says, "Kill Bossa for everyone." And, and Spider Man's there. He says, "I don't think there's enough to go around. The rest of you take some. I'll just eat salad." And she says, "Eat it. You'll need. You. I'll make more. You're too skinny." He says, "Well, very, very well. If you will unhand my cheek immediately." And so he eats some. He says, "Madam, that is superior kielbasa." And then the next panel though is him handing the kielbasa to the dog. So uh, he didn't actually eat it. I thought that was actually was hilarious. And then we obviously get the lead. The last two panel pages, we get the lead into what's happening next, which is some person named Master Pandemonium has returned. And it says next, Doctor Strange. So interesting. Guys, I I loved Superior Spider-Man. I love him as a concept. I loved him when Dan Slott was writing him. And I'm loving him when Christos Gage is writing him. Next up is Riri Williams' Ironheart, issue number four, which is by Eve Ewing, Lu, uh, Luciano Vecchio on art, Jaffo on layouts, Matt Millo on color art, and then VCs Clayton Cowles on letters and production. So this one was uh, actually a low point for me too. This is a very, not very strange. It was a needed issue. We get a little bit of, um, of Riri dealing with kind of the demands of working at MIT or going to school at MIT. But then more than that, we get this midnight, is his name, his name is the midnight, midnight's fire. And he kind of just shows up at Riri's house and the entire rest of the issue is him explaining his backstory. So if you wanted to know about this guy, this is the issue. He's involved with the Ten Rings and he's trying to amass power and find this wellspring of power and knowledge. And that's essentially it. And then they kind of battle a little bit and that's that's where it leaves it is her kind of been defeated in her garage and we'll figure out what happens next that's a quick one just because honestly that's all that it was i wasn't really impressed with this issue uh but i'm loving the, i'm loving the series so i'm obviously still going to be reading it and then avengers no road home issue number seven guys i i've been saying it every week and it's it hasn't changed this is a great series written by jim zub mark wade and al ewing with art by paco medina color art by jesus abertov and letters by vc's joe sabino so this issue is narrated by spectrum which was so nice to finally get after reading this issue, I need more Spectrum in my life. I almost want to reread Al Ewing's Ultimates run because she references it in here too. But at this point, Nyx is very powerful. She just got another crystal. And then um, Spectrum is kind of trying to, to figure everything out. But she she br- Nyx brings her two kids back. And what ends up happening is um, in the prior issue, you saw Nyx kill Hercules and Vision. And what ended up happening was Spectrum actually used her light manipulation abilities to make it seem like Hercules and Vision were actually her two kids, like her two, the two demon sons. Like she's got, she's got like five kids or something like that, all these demons. So she killed her own kids and she gets really mad about that. And then there's a great fight there. And then there's a really interesting thing with the, in the Nightmare Realm where Hulk, Hawkeye, and Rocket are. It looks like they're heading to a planet called Euphoria that Hulk knows about. And so it seems like Hulk has a plan, but we don't really know what that is yet. Um, Scarlet Witch also gets her vision back in this series. Uh, actually, that's a pun. That, excuse me. That's pun intended. She gets to be back with vision and gets her sight back. Uh, they don't really make up in this issue or talk. It's just that, you know, they're back together. She asks how he is, that sort of thing. And uh, 
And then Conan almost kills Vision because he thinks he's a monster. And so they kind of, this is the issue where I think things start to pick up, like, or start to, all the pieces get put in place. Nick's got her crystal. I don't think she has all of them, but she busts this crystal, sees this house. And I don't know what that means, but she's like, and the Spectrum says it. What is it? What did you see? You never know. And then like destroys, sort of knocks out Spectrum, says you're only human. And then she leaves. She basically takes her control off. And I didn't get this. Why didn't she just kill them? But she takes her control off of Voyager. So she's no longer under Nyx's control. She takes her magic back from Scarlet Witch so that Scarlet Witch can see again. Why didn't she just kill her? And then um, and then they disappear and she has her other gross kid. The um, It's like a lizard take care of them and then by the end of that the lizard sort of brings back or turns somebody into conan's dead lover belit and that's the end of it is is to be continued she like attacks conan so i don't know where things are going to go from here but they're only going to go up because this issue is just this series has consistently been really 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 good uh next up fantastic four issue number eight which is uh what i wanted to talk about in terms of my 180 this is by dan slot Wait a minute. No way. This is uh, this is why I got tricked. I, when I was reading this, I said to myself, I, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of Aaron Cooter's art. And I, as I'm reading this, I'm going, wow, you know, I, I think I actually like Aaron Cooter's art now. Um, I got tricked, guys. I got the wool pulled over my eyes. So Dan Slott wrote this, but art is by Aaron Cooter, Stefano Caselli, David Marquez, and Riley Brown. So I'm almost positive that this, because I, I was not a fan of the art in the beginning, which is Aaron Cooter. And then as it moves forward, this is, and I should have recognized his art, but Stefano Caselli's art is the one that I was like, hey, I actually like Aaron Cooter now. So I should have read it at the beginning that there were multiple artists. But uh, color art by Matt Yaki and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I don't know why the art is so different throughout this. Um, makes me curious as to if they couldn't meet the deadline or something. But what happens is Galactus has been captured by Dr. Doom. And he is being used to power Latveria. They're kind of siphoning the power cosmic away from him. And the Fantastic Four are all captured. And they are all put in their own sort of torture devices. Uh, Mr. Fantastic has been expanded to his maximum capacity, which I don't believe. But he is, and he's also put in a very cold room. So if he moves, he breaks. Um, Thing is captured in sort of a thing containing him. But if he fights to escape, it makes the other three members that much more in danger. So he was saying, like, if you, the more you struggle, the, the lower the temperature goes in Reed Richards' case. Johnny Storm is suspended in breathable water. And then Sue Storm kind of has her, I guess the part of her brain inhibited or something like that, that does force fields, which then plays into other things. And so at that point, we kind of see some stuff about Franklin and Valeria and what they're doing to try and help their parents or wanting to help their parents, I suppose you say. And then at the very end of this, um, uh, Sue Storm, Invisible Woman, she's like, oh, by the way, I don't just do force fields. Like I can make things invisible. And so she essentially take, she, uh, and at this point, Dr. Doom is live on, on camera across the entire world. He's, he's overrun all of the newscasts and he's trying to explain that he's the savior, that he's going to use Galactus's power to take people into space. All, all the, I'm the king now sort of thing. And the emperor has no clothes. And so, uh, if you read the end of this, you'll know exactly what I mean. Why, but let's just say Sue Storm manages to always kick some ass. 
So uh, then from there, the let's see, what else did I read? I read Doctor Strange, issue number 12, and this is by... Uh, stories by Barry Kitson and Mark Wade with finishes by Scott Kolblish and colors by Brian Reber, letters by VCs Corey Petit. Uh, this was a very interesting issue because the first few pages, Dr. Strange essentially talks about the comic dilemma, which is that these characters continue to do the same thing over and over again of saving the planet and doing all this stuff that he says, like, I really wish I could do something different. And then something different comes along and he says, well, you know, I need to be careful what I wish for. But what it is, is this alien that has um, kind of combined all of the magical powers of all of the people on his home world. They're all magicians. And he's got like the ultimate magic, but he wants Professor, or he wants Dr. Strange's help in defeating Galactus. Galactus has shown up at his planet and wants to eat his planet. And he, apparently the only word that he could get from Galactus as to how he could be stopped was the word Earth. And Dr. Strange's like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, I, I never beat Galactus. That was somebody else. He's like, that's impossible. It had to have been magic. It's more powerful than science. And he's like, okay, man. So then this guy ends up going crazy and takes all of Dr. Strange's art, ma magic artifacts, like soaks up all of the power of his artifacts and tries to go fight the Galactus and essentially banishes Galactus into the mystic realm. And Dr. Strange is like, that is a really bad idea because Galactus is a, is a science being. Like he, he eats planets. He doesn't do magic. So if he ends up eating anything magic related or, you know, whatever the case may be, that could destroy disrupt the entire world the entire universe because galactus is one of those people who just he's essentially keeping the balance and uh, now that he's not in and i think that's going to lead into dr strange becoming galactus which i think they hinted at um but i don't know i don't know how they're going to do it because the end of this is galactus about to eat something magic so you know galactus is hungry and a guy's got to eat so we'll see exactly how that plays out next time and then, uh, just real briefly, Amazing Spider-Man issue number 18 came out today as well. And I'm not going to review it because I reviewed the entire Hunted storyline in a prior podcast. But those are all the issues for this week. So uh, hopefully you guys are picking up some of those and reading them. And uh, for Comics and Cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. And I look forward to reading some comics with you. <laughs>